Welcome to a new edition of the Education List Around the World podcast. Today we have two lovely guests, Judy Tertill and Melissa Wheeler, co-creators of the Online Learning Toolkit. The Online Learning Toolkit facilitates joyful, purposeful, strengths-based professional development for higher educators. The Online Learning Toolkit proudly facilitates the OLT community of practice, a global network of caring, passionate, creative, and curious educators who provide support, share resources, and explore new frontiers in teaching and learning together. More information about the OLT is available at onlinelearningtoolkit.com. So let's start by listening to their story. Hi, Judith and Melissa. Thank you very much for joining me here today. Um, to discuss some some uh, examples of faculty development and your own experience with this. So let's get started. Uh, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself and your story? Sure, I'll go first. Um, I'm Melissa Whaler, and along with Judith uh, Tull, who's with me today, we are the co-founders of the Online Learning Toolkit, and we oversee a community of practice that is based around best practice in online teaching and learning. Um, and my background as a faculty member is in teaching writing classes, student success courses, literary and cultural studies classes. And I come to faculty development from that perspective and also from an instructional design perspective. That's where I currently work in. My name is Judith Dutill. I am, um, like Melissa, co-founder of Online Learning Toolkit. I come to faculty development through a background in teaching, and um, I, I taught courses in communication. That's my academic discipline. I was drawn to faculty development at first, um, just through running sessions for other faculty on communication competency for communication across the curriculum because um, speaking is an outcome for institutions of higher education in the United States. And so um, at my institution, faculty development was faculty led. So faculty offered sessions for other faculty. Um, and they did that through a small organization. And I really enjoyed that work. And eventually I transitioned into online teaching and what, through my work in online teaching, I found that I really enjoyed designing my classes and I enjoyed teaching faculty about designing their classes. And then I, I transitioned my career into instructional design, which is where I met Melissa. Uh, I was the instructional designer at her institution um, and we worked together and had a great relationship working together. And we also developed a Center for Teaching Excellence for faculty um, development at that institution because they did not have a program like what I was used to where faculty would teach other faculty. So through developing that program, um, we learned that not only did we not have very many resources to support faculty development at our institution, um, and faculty development can be expensive, especially if you are um, bringing in resources from the outside, but we found many other institutions also did not have many resources for faculty development. And we really wanted to make faculty development accessible 
to all faculty. So we really focused on making sure that we had high quality offerings for the online learning toolkit that also are accessible and affordable for institutions. Thank you. Thank you very much. Very interesting mix of backgrounds and, and also how you come how you came up with the idea of the online learning toolkit. Um, I wanted to ask you to tell me a little bit more about your approach with the online learning toolkit. Uh, what how did you start? You know, how how how, how that how that continued and of course how COVID impacted it. <laughs> Yeah, so um, as you've mentioned, we were just working together, and then we actually went to a um, conference, and we delivered a presentation about online learning and um, using different pause procedures and different ways to connect with students in an asynchronous environment, and we just had such a great reaction to this presentation. And people asked us, but, but how do I actually do this? Like, what is the step-by-step -step process? And so we went back home and we actually created an OER site, the online lecture toolkit, which had a lot of resources on how to create engaging asynchronous online lectures. And we just, it just kind of exploded. People kept saying to us, okay, but now what? Where do I go from here? What else can I do? Um, and so we expanded the lecture part of the toolkit into the online learning toolkit so we can have a bigger umbrella and encompass more things. And through that experience, we really were able to kind of drill down into a lot of the questions that people had about online learning and get to what kind of resources and support that they needed through that process. So it started off just, you know, very humble beginnings and really not um, thinking about anything other than offering as much resources and support as we could. But as the request kind of, you know, continued to grow, we realized, you know, this, this was, there was a huge need. Um, and I would, I would characterize the way we approach faculty development is we always say to faculty, we're not here to teach you how to teach. We're here to grow and expand the ways you teach, to improve it, to make it even better. Um, what you're doing in the classroom is great. Let's figure out ways that we can just continue to grow that toolkit of yours um, in new ways. Maybe that's adding more inclusivity, more multimedia. Maybe that's also thinking about um, building better, stronger community in our online classrooms. So yeah, it, it, it really has um, been the defining part of our approach that it's collaborative and communal in nature because it started in the relationship that Judith and I had, a friendship that Judith and I had. And so we've just expanded that and grown the friendship to a lot more people. Yeah, I, th I think that um like Melissa was saying, we, we're really strengths-based. We focus on what faculty do well. Um, we don't believe that all faculty should teach the same way. We, we really want people to rely on their own human strengths. Um, and we really believe that any faculty who wants to be successful in online learning can be, uh, regardless of their discipline. And I, I think that through COVID, we're learning that in disciplines where it just seemed too daunting to try to take programming online, that there are ways to do it. And um, it's it's not something that's maybe necessarily easy to do, but it is possible to do. So we believe in taking the time to do it the right way. Um, and 
we believe that faculty support is student support. So when we develop faculty with all these human-centered pedagogies that we focus on, the ultimate beneficiary of all that work are the students who the faculty serve. And that's really important to us because I think first in our heart, both Melissa and I are educators, and we really care about our students and the experiences that they have. And I, and I would mention here too, because we aren't affiliated with a specific institution, when we are invited to an institution, we also advocate to, to faculty on behalf of students. So, you know, this, this will help your students, this is what students want, this is what they need. And we also advocate to administration on behalf of faculty. Um, when we're brought into a situation, we will say, you know, faculty support is a wraparound service. We are going to provide training or development on this particular topic, but then you have to come and provide the time, the money, you know, you have to also give, after we leave, you need to give them resources. And what's good about that is we're kind of a neutral party in, in that conversation because we aren't involved in, in the institutional politics or anything like that. We can just say, listen, this is what is best for everybody. And so we're able to really be that faculty advocate, which is important to us. And administrations have, have been very receptive to that, especially post-COVID where I think people are thinking, oh, okay, so faculty development is no longer this um, would be nice if we could sort of service. It's a, it's a necessary service. It's as necessary as any other service that we can provide. So that has really, having that paradigm shift in COVID has really helped us to be those faculty advocates. And also to say to um, institutions that, you know, if you want good, teaching it takes time to develop that and faculty really do need um that time you need to be able to give them that time yeah thanks thanks a lot i think you answered already <laughs> another question i had uh, about uh, how do you see yourselves as a sort of neutral actor non-institutional actor not belonging to one institution and how you see your role i think you answered quite well i really like the idea that you then can focus uh, on advocating both, you know, for the faculty and for the students uh, towards the administration and sort of trying to convince them that your efforts, you know, are just the beginning. They have to be sustained with resources, with human resources and so on. I think this is really, really important these days. And indeed, we've seen an increase uh, uh, in, 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 you know, the, the perceived importance of faculty development in, in, uh, in the past year. I hope this is here to stay. Um, but I just wanted, I was just curious, why, how, how did you decide to, to sort of open your own consultancy and to go outside? Or you're still working in your institutions, right? And this is a side, right? So we, we started this um, when Judith and I were both working in the same institution. And we really, what we really realized was um, some of the people who were reaching out to us they felt like they were like a lonely only at that institution, <laughs> that um, they were advocating for things and it was kind of falling on deaf ears. And so one of the things that the toolkit does is we have our own internal community. And if you're feeling like you're the person advocating on your campus for you know, teaching and, and resources and support, you don't have to feel kind of like the only person doing that because our community is, is a place where you can connect with other educators from around the world who are also, you know, trying to find those same resources, trying to pin down those same talking points, trying to make those same arguments, and so it, it does, for it does have that sort of um, purpose as well. 
is to bring people together who maybe feel like teaching is not as um, at the fore of mind at their institution. And here they're among people who this is what we think about all day, every day. And it's a joy for us to do that. It's, it's something that's really important for us. I, oh, no, please. I was, I was just going to add that I also um, feel, and I, I, I would say that mostly you probably agree, I feel motivated by my own educational experiences, and I feel protective over this um, discipline. Like, I, I just really care about my profession I'll, so much and I'm a, I'm a parent and I think about the educational experiences that I want my child to have and that includes a higher education where the faculty have a really strong voice in the classroom um, and that they are able to share from their own personal experiences and like we say toolkit <laughs> with their students and forge relationships with their students, lifelong relationships with their students. And that if, if, if online learning would take a certain turn, that could possibly go away. So we really, we really want to keep faculty and their voice, the forefront of their classrooms. And, and we, we definitely focus on that. Um, and that that really drew me out of working 100% for an institution to wanting to work with all institutions or as many as I possibly could. Yeah, I completely agree. And that resonates very well with me, actually, because I think that is also what, what drove me to, to take the, your program last year, because I feel, at least in Europe, um, not many universities had before COVID, but even now, uh, really strong teaching and learning centers. It's often one person or two persons that usually, my experience, I wasn't in one of those, in few of those actually. So um, it's easy to feel alone or to feel like, like nobody really shares both your passion and your challenges. Uh, so I think the idea of trying to bring people together from different institutions really enriches the experience for everyone, but, but also offers a sort of you know, a safety net, a network to work with, something that can continue to grow beyond the specific, you know, training or program or whatever. So that was my feeling with, with your program. And I think this is something really, really necessary these days, this community, this getting people together from different institutions, because then the discussion becomes richer. Uh, you find common points, but you also find things that, that you can learn from each other. So I, I really, that, that really resonates with me a lot. So, yeah, do you want to add anything? I, I feel like where we've positioned ourselves is kind of in between. There's this whole world of scholarship of teaching and learning, and there are wonderful um, research units and scholars who are who are actively doing research on what is effective in online classrooms. And I feel like we are we are trying to bridge that gap between the scholarship and the practical application that is in context. And, and kind of facing the realities of our classrooms. So um, that that's where we try to position ourselves is where we can take that research and make it um, accessible and applicable for everyone.
totally identify with that. So yes, creating this bridge between between the the scholarship and and the research and really trying to to help faculty survive and thrive actually uh, in practical terms. I think that's really really an important role. So now let's come back to the last year, um, and and I was really curious how, of course, practically how COVID. Uh, um, influence the way you work and uh, also like your the rhythm maybe the the types of programs you ran and so on yeah i think that that's uh, you know it's always on our mind too um and one of the things about covid that both i won't say surprised but um was was a great you know wonderful thing that happened was that all of a sudden people were like i need community and i need online community and I, I need to figure out how to get that. And so in this moment of isolation, people you know, were like, we need each other. And um, COVID really changed and, and really forced the issue of how do we build um, this community online uh, and make this network as rich as we possibly can. And so we had and have a whole library of resources that people can access with the, our subscription, but it was really this community piece that everybody was really wanting. And I, I think that last year, um, I think people, I think we would have found that a little surprising, but this year it makes complete sense, right? That people were just kind of like, hey, I need humans right now. Where are my humans at? And how do I stay connected and have these robust conversations when I'm not able to go maybe walk down the hall and you know, tap a colleague on the shoulder and say, hey, I've got this teaching question. Um, so we kind of became that open office where people could walk in and be like, hey, I've got this teaching question. And it was it was, it was was wonderful. And so the community practice had always been something that Judith and I wanted to kick off with the toolkit. But last year, it was like, we need this. And so we were able to kind of step into that place and, and provide that space where people could ask questions and be vulnerable. And I will say that with COVID in particular, because everybody felt very... Um, off what they are normally doing, um, people were able to be vulnerable. I saw so much resource sharing online uh, at the beginning of COVID and still, and I think that that's really because people were like, hey, I'm just going to put this out here and I'm not going to worry if there's critiques or criticisms or somebody wants to take this particular word or formatting to task. I'm just going to put something out there because people seem to need things. And so I love that hiring community kind of stepped into that void and said, we're going to be vulnerable in the very best way. We're going to share things in the very best way. And so we were able to also come in and say, okay, let's let's find a way to, to get these resources into the hands of people that need them. Let's find ways to answer people's questions. Um, because this is a space we're very comfortable in. You know, we weren't thrown off by a switch to online. Judith was teaching at the time and she can certainly talk about that. And so it you know, this was a place where we could do some good because of the skill sets we already had. Yeah, I feel like there was a, a great deal of panic, especially those first those first couple weeks of um, COVID. Melissa and I kind of saw the writing on the wall and saw what was happening and, and kind of started preparing <laughs> for a possible influx of faculty meeting additional support. I don't think that we knew just how much at that time it would happen. I think that one of the biggest 
lessons that COVID is teaching higher ed is that um, we really do need to develop these literacies in all of our faculty. Um, there, there, there were gaps, and we're trying to fill those gaps, but there will be there's still much work to be done in in all of those areas. So. Um, I don't think that we're kind of out of that period yet of being reactive um, where we can get proactive. I think that we're, we're hopefully reaching that point, but I don't, I don't see us there yet. So one of the things that I, I was really proud of us for being able to offer to folks who are in this situation is calm, is that we were able to, to just, focus on, we're going to get through this, we will help you get through this, we're confident in our skills, and our ability to be able to make you feel confident enough in your classrooms right now during this, this uncertain time to be able to do a good enough job that when we get to the other side of this, we can focus on doing a great job. Yeah, thanks. Thanks a lot. This is, uh, this is quite some lessons that, that COVID is teaching us still after, after one year. Um, and, uh, and I'm sure there is still a lot of work to be done. But uh, maybe you can tell us a little bit more about uh, a specific program, maybe the camp pool uh, um, that you did last year and, and you're doing again uh, this year. You know how 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 that was designed. What was the main aim, uh, target group? Um, if you have any you know, informal or formal evaluations, and you know how how do you want to take this forward? Judith, do you want to go ahead? Yeah, camp camp cool is our program that we are working on. Um, for the summer, um, it will start in June and, um, it's a six week course design community of practice. Um, Melissa and I dreamed up these course design communities several years ago and, um, there just wasn't the demand for it. And last summer we saw that there was this need for folks to feel more prepared for their fall courses. So we took a chunk of summer and provided a six week course um, that walked through the process of course online course design. Um, and then we also paired that with a community who would um, support one another, so a community practice through this process, and then also provide peer feedback, peer review on the work that was being done. So what we encourage folks who are participating in COOL, which stands for Camp Operation Online Learning, what we um, we suggest for folks who are participating is that they also are, while they're working in our community and learning about these skills, learning these skills, but they're also simultaneously developing their online courses. Um, so that way they can get, they can take what they're learning, automatically apply it to their teaching, and then get feedback on what they're creating right away from this community. 
and the community is led by facilitators who are part of the online learning toolkit team. Everybody is um, has great expertise in online learning, but we are a team. So all of our skill sets are slightly different and we're able to bring diverse perspectives to um, the online learning scenario as well as um, the community members. And we, we have just really enjoyed this community. It, it was really beautiful, I think, to see how it came together um, and how positive of an experience it was, how supportive people felt. We received a tremendous positive feedback from the cohorts. There was enough demand to run a second cohort last summer, too. Um, so we, we developed almost, well, it was slightly over 400 faculty through the cool experience. And we're running it again this summer because we feel like there are folks who are ready to revise what they were doing or build from new. Um, and we want to provide that same supportive community to, to everyone. Yeah. And when it, when it comes to feedback, just to piggyback on what Jude said, um, the feedback was really about having a place to be vulnerable, to get that feedback, to get it pretty quickly. I would also say was um, a point we saw over and over again that everybody appreciated that everybody was very willing to share. The um, feedback was amazing. Detailed, try this, and then somebody would post another version. How about this? Okay, this is good, tweak that word. And so people were really giving others um, an opportunity in the space to not only put something out there, but to get really great feedback, like the kind of feedback we all dream about, really. Um, and the other piece that I will mention is that we continued the community practice after pool in the fall and we have one going on right now in the spring because people said can you please hold this space for us and so we were like absolutely because I'll tell you every day I go into that um, community space for, that we have it is a good day because people are sharing great resources asking amazing questions um, all the facilitators are posting just incredible um, tips and resources it's just a wonderful, welcoming space. Um, and the thing that I also love about Cool, it's as totally come as you are philosophy. If you can give us, you know, 45 minutes this week, we'll take you whenever we can get you. And so if you only want to do the asynchronous stuff, you can do the asynchronous. If you want to chat only using the, the activity feed, do that. If you want to come to the weekly office hours that are synchronous, you can do that. If you want to come to the weekly presentations that are synchronous, you can do that, or you can watch them on the replay. So there's so many avenues, and I think that was another lesson that we really did learn last year, is that there is providing, and it's a good, it's, it's the same thing we tell faculty, right? Provide as many opportunities for people to opt in as possible. So we have a lot of opportunities for faculty to opt into the community at their level of comfort, wherever they are and whatever they need. And so it really does provide a good model for what we want them to be practicing in their own classrooms. Yeah, we really loved watching the relationships being formed. Um, we, we have seen little subgroups kind of shoot off from cool. Um, during the first cohort, there was a nurse educator who gathered up all the nurses who were in cool and they um, worked together on 
creating amazing opportunities for nursing students online. And um, those, those folks would not have otherwise met if not for the community. Yeah, I think it's really great and rewarding to see these communities uh, not only continue, but also grow. And, and thanks, Marisa, for mentioning the, sp the fall and the spring initiatives, because that's what I was about to ask as well, whether you continued or offered a space for these communities to continue. And I think this is extremely rewarding to see people coming together that might, like Julie said, might have not know, you know, got to know each other otherwise, or definitely would have not uh, known each other otherwise work together, put their ideas together, uh, work on something um, you know, uh, collaboratively. So I, I, really, I really think that is probably the biggest, the most valuable thing that you achieved, creating this, this starting these communities that probably will survive long, long from now. Um, I was just wondering, um, because last year, of course, that was more of a, a program let's say, geared towards this emergency state in which a lot of the people were teaching, you know, emergency remote teaching and so on. Um, did that affect the way you approached course design? Are you going to do it differently or would you do it differently in non-emergency times? Um, we are going to, um, we're making some revisions to the curriculum, but the curriculum, when we designed it, we really wanted to design something that was robust enough that if you had been teaching online for a while, there'd be something still in there for you. And if you were brand new, that you could run through it and get a good sense of what the scope of work would look like. And so it was really designed for with all levels in mind. Um, and so the curriculum itself is pretty tried and true. So there will be some updates, but, but not a lot, um, because it was designed to be evergreen in that way. And then the, the thing that keeps refreshing the course, I think, um, is the activity feed where it's like our, it's like an internal social media thread where people can post you know, whatever is coming up in their lives. The, the, I just listened to this podcast. I just read this article. I just came across this question. Um, I just revised this assignment. What do we think about it? And so the part that is continually renewed is that activity feed. And then, of course, the, the time that we spend in the small group sessions are also opportunities that people can take whatever they need from it. Um, I always open up my sessions with, well, how are we doing, everybody? And we all kind of go around and, and debrief. And then I always say, okay, what are our questions? And that's all I have to say, really, because everyone's pretty much off and running from that point. Um, because, again, everyone's coming to this space with... Uh, a passion, a love, a desire to teach and to grow teaching. And so when you know, when you get those people together in a room, um, you don't need to do too much. You know, you just kind of guide the conversation and provide support as best as you can. And so that's why we're facilitators. We're not managers or overseers or supervisors. We're just um, facilitators. And I, I, lo I love the way that it is its own proof of concept. So we, we have um, a, a thriving online community where most people do not know each other in person. Um, and even the facilitators don't necessarily, we, we work together online and we have all met each other online, but not necessarily in person. And we are still learning. And it, it, I, to me, it's just such a great testimony for online learning and how effective it can be. 
yeah, I was just about to say that you are probably learning through the process as much as as, as the the learners. So we are actually all learners anyway uh, in this context. But I think it's uh, it's really really interesting, and I, I like the idea that you work in a team. I mean, the two of you obviously know each other, uh, you know, longer, but uh, but also with the other facilitators, it's really nice. I think the to, to share this experience and not to try to do everything on your own or even with the two of you. Uh, I think it's it's really great to, to basically have a, a, a more diverse team, but, but basically like-minded, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and two, and you know this, as a faculty developer, as somebody who works in this area, you can't know everything. You cannot be an expert in teaching and learning. I mean, that's just not realistic. And we also don't expect or want to portray ourselves to faculty that we are the fonts of all knowledge and that, you know, um, we're not also growing and developing ourselves. Being in faculty development is being a, a learner. <laughs> it's being a lifelong learner. And I, I love that point that you're making, too, is that we have to model that constantly for faculty as faculty developers that it's okay to be vulnerable, it's okay to be wrong, it's okay to say, I don't know. Um, and the idea that you can be an expert on assessment, on course design, on technology, on the LMS, it's just, you might know a good deal about all, all those areas, but that does not make you an expert in every single one. And that's okay, because we also don't want our faculty to walk away ever thinking, I need to become an expert tomorrow on universal design for learning. Because part of what we try to do when we're developing is that it's incremental, it's a journey, not a destination, and we have to acknowledge and respect that we're all at different places on our journeys. Some some of us had teaching goals where we were going to get to learn um, assistive technology better than we did, and so maybe we're farther along because we have those goals. Maybe somebody else said, I'm going to get to learn more about assessment, so maybe they're further along, and that's why these communities, I think, are so important. Um, we're, we're making the OLT community permanent. It's not going to be semester to semester. Starting in August, we're going to have a year-long community that just keeps rolling over every single year because it's a journey, not a destination. We don't expect that by the end of spring term, you're good, we're going to let you go um, <laughs> out into the world because you're not an expert. So we want to be there, that constant support through all parts of that journey. Yeah, and I think the the needs will develop anyway as we go in the next, uh, as, as we all go into the next uh, stage of, of um, who knows how many stages this whole thing will have. But in any case, I, I think it's a good idea to create a more permanent um, uh, type of community or a permanent space for these exchanges and and for the learning um, uh, that that that's happening anyway. So I think that's that's really a a great a great thing also because everyone then follows their own path and just takes out of what's there, whatever they are most interested in at a certain moment, which might also change, as you just said. Um, I was just wondering, um, okay, you already mentioned, I think, a few lessons that you learned in the past year, um, but if you have something to add, uh, please do. And maybe also like a few tips you would give to faculty developers, what what they should be focusing on, what 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 is most important in your in your view. One of the tips I would probably have for faculty developers um, that is also a lesson I've learned from this year is whenever I talk to faculty, it's about 
and I worry about engagement. I say, you know, you can't always listen to the responses. You also have to listen to the silences, the things that aren't getting asked, the question, you know, the questions that aren't getting answered, the emails not returned. And when it comes to faculty development, I think it's the same way. Um, so whenever we kind of see, you know, somebody's gone quiet in the community, we just gently go over and tap them a little bit and say, everything okay here? And people will be honest and they'll say, you know, I just got busy. And we'll say, that's great. We're just worried about you. We're thinking about you. We want to make sure like, you know, if you fall off the grid, it's, we could help you in some way, whatever way we possibly can. And I think that for faculty developers, it, thinking about the faculty as colleagues and also as learners, it's a hard balance that we have to kind of um, keep on both sides of. But to me, recognizing that just like our students go quiet, sometimes our faculty learners go quiet, and honestly just reaching out and say, I just care about you, I just want to know you're okay. If you are, just say I'm okay, and that's, that's good enough for me. So that's definitely one thing I learned this past year, and it's a tip I would give other faculty developers too. I would share, um, I, 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 my mind's like right in line with Melissa, it's just when, when there is a lot happening and there's a lot of stress and anxiety and things like that, sometimes it's really hard to ask for help on top of everything else because that's just another thing you have to do. And I would say that for faculty developers, as much as possible is to go to your faculty, not just demand that they come to you. Um, so one of the things that when I was working at an institution in faculty development, I would invite faculty to sessions. And we didn't always have the attendance that we were looking for. Um, you have to also go to faculty. You can't just always expect them to come to you. So for me right now, that looks like I'm active on Twitter. I'm active on LinkedIn. I'm sharing resources. I'm making myself available. Maybe for a faculty developer on campus, you would be inviting yourself to classes. Look at the teaching that's actually happening on your campus um, and see how you can make yourself useful um, to the development needs of the faculty for the, the actual teaching that they're doing. Yeah, I, I would so agree with that. And also, as you said earlier in the conversation, um, we were both like the onesie twosies running all of the development on our campus. And so we get it. Faculty development, unless you're at a bigger center, it's probably you. You may work it part time. It might be a course, um, a course reduction for you to work that. And it's really hard um, to balance all of those responsibilities and get you know people to come and see the great resources you're producing. I would say that that's probably one of our um, most requests is we, we hear a lot of times from those people on those campuses that say, I need help. I'm the only person doing this. Can you come in and help us um, run a workshop, do a webinar, just something so they can hear another voice. And, and so I think to Ju's point too, it's also about inviting faculty in and sharing that stage with faculty um, if you go into a class and you see that they're doing something spectacular, have them present on it. Um, I think that that's, that's really a great thing because, yeah, you 
Ju's absolutely right. You cannot wait always um, that a really nice flyer is going to put butts in your seats. Yeah, very good point, especially this uh, inviting faculty to also contribute and to share, because in the end it's all about creating this community, either at an institutional level or a department level, even a faculty level, um, or at the cross-institutional level like you do with OLT. But I think I think this is really important, because I and I, and I also, from my experience, um, faculty has been more willing to share, like you said, also in a vulnerable way. Uh, things that are not finished, things that they are working on, things they have a problem with. So I think that we should really play on that and, and have them more, have their voice more heard in in, uh, uh, in this context. And I like the idea uh, that we should be more proactive. Um, of course, I I know quite a lot of people are, uh, but it depends. It it really depends a lot. I mean, there is a lot of there is the the, the um, uh, overworked, uh, you know. Uh, context but, as well. But to that point, Alexandra, the, for the overworking is, you know, faculty feel that too. And I have found in my experience that when I am able to discover what faculty are working on, there's so much work being replicated unnecessarily on campuses where if I could just well, did you know that this math faculty is also working on problem-based learning? So let's get you two together and maybe you can work together and um, take some of the burden off of that work um, and produce something even more interesting. And like you said, it's that community piece of, of just kind of pivoting the center, seeing what's going on around your, your campus or your institution and playing matchmaker if you have to, to help take um, some of the burden off of folks who are going it alone. Exactly, exactly. I think you mentioned exactly the, the, the most important thing that we also should play this role of the connector, of the networker among faculty and to really support, you know, make them sort of aware of what the others are doing because we sometimes assume that they are, but they're most often not. Um, and I think that, that again, burden could be shared and, and a lot of... Uh, um, you know, not necessarily best practice, but good practice could be shared and even across disciplines, uh, let alone in, in a specific discipline. So I think, again, this is a role, it's it's quite time-consuming, I think, but it, it can be very mm -hmm. rewarding seeing how people end up working together, uh, maybe co-teaching, maybe working together on a specific project. Uh, it really it really can pay off. I, I completely agree with that, also from my experience. Anything else you would like to share on that or on anything else from your work? I would just um, add quickly here that I, I love whenever we have faculty developers um, in the conversation with us, um, because again, just like faculty can't be expected to know everything, one of, the, one of the reasons why the OLT community really does thrive is because we have other faculty developers, other instructional designers, other support staff that are in the community because they also, they want to learn more about the teaching side and um, they can, you know, they can share their expertise. And so I think that that cross-pollination that can happen in online communities is a really powerful thing um, because it isn't bound by discipline or um, that, that the staff slash faculty divide that can sometimes happen 
or you know inter-institutional politics. So I think that that's a really rich area. And this is really deeply rooted in our organization. When we enroll an institution in COOL, we always provide a gratis seat for a faculty developer, instructional designer, or technologist because we we want faculty to learn about their support staff. We want them to know what is available on their campus. We always encourage this relationship throughout the, the COOL experience and throughout all the work we do. But we invite them into our community so they can also see what their faculty are learning in this development experience. So that way, when faculty are coming to them and saying, oh, the thing I learned in COOL, they, they will know what they're talking about because they, they shared the experience with them. Yeah, and that's another really cool point um, about the online communities because then we've had institutions that we work with, they go back to their own institution and say, we're going to run um, an institution-specific session on this particular topic that came up in COOL. And they can do that because their support staff knows what we're talking about and they are welcome to you know, use, use resources that we have made available to them to do those sessions. And so it just, the community can keep expanding and growing um, because we try to be as inclusive as possible. Yeah, really, really great points as well, uh, especially with this uh, bridge between the faculty developers and faculty and sometimes it's the same people i mean all of us also teach and uh, are faculty developers and i think quite a lot of people are in those in that position but also in general for people that are in either or group i think it's important that that they work together as well that this that this, that this divide is a bit blurred or more blurred actually because it doesn't have to be a divide in my opinion it doesn't, and it, do, it frankly doesn't help anybody that it exists. Um, and I, I love that point of so many faculty developers were either faculty and have moved into faculty development or are still faculty or still actively teaching. And I think acknowledging that, um, that that experience doesn't go away, and that's part of the reason, you know, Judith and I, we always talk about what we teach and our passion for our discipline because our, for us, faculty development is also rooted in that same passion to teach. Um, like you said earlier, we are educators through and through. It doesn't matter who's sitting in front of us. Um, if, if we've got something that w could benefit them, we're happy to share it. And so, yeah, I think acknowledging the, the many hats faculty wear on their campuses is really critical to um, also effective development. Yeah, thanks a lot. Um, to end with, I would like to ask you, you mentioned already some of the programs you are running, but maybe you can just uh, give us a brief overview and, and maybe where we can find your work. I will also, of course, post this uh, in writing. But, uh. Sure. Um, so we do have COOL coming up in June. That's probably our next program. Um, we are kicking off the official OLT subscription services in August. All of that information can be found on onlinelearningtoolkit.com. Um, you can also find the toolkit on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. Um, and you can also find Judith and I on all of those uh, social media platforms as well. Thank you very much, ladies. It was really a pleasure talking to you today. Thank you. Thank we are you. so excited to be here. And you're a 
cool um so it's it's a double pleasure for us yeah absolutely <laughs> thank you <laughs> Thank you for listening. This podcast is part of the Around the World series on faculty development. You can find more stories on educationalist.eu. Watch this space in the coming months for more inspiration on professional development approaches in higher education from around the globe.